Nestled in the quaint small town of Junee, New South Wales, there lies a grand sprawling property with a past that's so dark it's become a ghost hunter's playground and the breeding ground of stories from the unexplainable to the just plain bone chilling. Monte Cristo Homestead was where the Crawley family once lived. Is Monte Cristo Australia's most haunted homestead? Eleven people have reportedly died there, and it seems their spirits have never left. Welcome to True Hauntings. I'm Renata. And I'm Anne. And today we're going to be looking at the legends that surround Monte Cristo Junie. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. I sleep at Monte Cristo nearly every weekend, and in the three years I have been there, I have experienced a lot of things that I simply cannot explain. My hair has been pulled. My phone has taken 127 pictures of the floor without me even touching it. My leg has been tapped while sleeping. I have heard loud footsteps pacing back and forth in the front of my room. I have slept at the homestead on my own, and I've even heard loud and clear voices talking directly to me, though no one else is hearing it. These are just some of the experiences I have had at Monte Cristo Homestead. One experience that stands out to me is when I decided to sleep at Monte Cristo with my sister. No one else but the two of us were there. As it was a weekday, the homestead was closed to the public. The night was pretty uneventful. We both had slept in a little when at 9am the next morning a, a rattling of the door woke me up. I got up and saw the door handle rattle as if someone was trying to get into our locked room. I walked towards the door, opened it, and found there was no one on the other side of the door. I went back to bed. In a few seconds, the same thing happened again. I woke up my sister and told her that someone was trying to get into our room. This time... Both of us watched the door handle rattling and someone or something desperately trying to open the door. My sister yelled out, Who is it? But there was no reply. I walked towards the door. My sister told me not to open it, but I told her that I needed to check out what was happening. I reached for the door for the second time and tried to open it. I felt a pressure holding the door from the other side and after a couple of seconds, I opened the door only to find no one there. I jumped back into the room and we called our parents to ask whether anyone was at our property. 
but it was confirmed the two of us were there on our own. Took us a while to get over the whole experience as it was surreal to us how physically strong the spirits and ghosts can actually get. So that story actually comes from Veronica, Mm. who now is a resident of Monte Cristo. Yes, her and her sister and their mum. Yeah. And they actually also run, or her mum, beautiful Sophia, runs the Doll Museum there mm. at Monte Cristo, which is awesome. Oh, my God. They've got Thousands some creepy of ones dolls. in there. Yes, they've got that nun. The nun. The nun. <laughs> We've got a photo oh, of that. We'll make sure we put that up. Yeah, the and nun and the, the doll, Annabelle. Annabelle. They've got Annabelle in a, a case as well. Yeah. So if you are at Monte Cristo Homestead, please just make sure that you also pop in and see the doll museum because it is absolutely awesome. And Sophia also makes her own dolls there so you can actually order a doll from her and uh, have it handcrafted which is amazing Mm. Um, but the two young girls veronica and sophia sophia so sylvia is the mother oh god she needs more coffee people don't worry sorry (laughs) sorry sylvia (laughs) sylvia beautiful sylvia runs the doll museum (laughs) runs the doll museum yeah Sorry, I'll get back to the story. Yeah, let's get back to our notes where yeah. we, we survive much better. Oh, my God, goodness, isn't Junie a long way away from Newcastle? It is, it is. And we we went there a couple of times last year. Mm-hmm. We were lucky when we went in December that it was actually cool mm-hmm. because normally Junie gets oh, stinking hot. Yes, I was going to use a, an F word like formidably hot, <laughs> but yeah, it gets really hot. But the rooms are air conditioned that you sleep in, thankfully. Mm-hmm. And yes, so we have been to Juni ourselves many, many times. And one of my most profound interactions happened the very first time I went to Juni. And this is before I actually started doing any investigating with you. This would have been probably about eight years ago. Without me? I know, when I had my own little incident at Junie at the bottom of the stairs. But I might tell that story when you start telling the ghost stories. So let's hit it off with some history so we can get some background to Junie and the homestead itself. So Juni is located 440 kilometres southwest of Sydney via the Hume Motorway and Gundagai, where you can see the dog on the tucker box. Yep. It's 478 kilometres via Bathurst and Cowra and 41 kilometres northwest of Wagga Wagga. And six hours from Newcastle. <laughs> long, <laughs> long hours. Yeah. We normally break up the trip, though, and we stay at, where is it we stay at? Barrel or something like that, barrel. Oh, we stayed at Robertson last time and it was amazing. There's a little vlog on YouTube for that one. Oh, yes, with the big potato. Yes, and they didn't put the big <laughs> potato in the blog, Josh Jr. <laughs> uh, we'll have to find that yeah. on the cutting room yeah, watch floor Yeah, Josh, we're coming for you. <laughs> so it's widely accepted that Junie is a Wiradjuri Aboriginal word meaning speak to me. It was originally spelt Juni, as in J-E-W-N-E-E, which was the name of a pastoral run established in the district in the 1840s. So Juni is a railway town. 
its premier attraction is the huge Juni Railway Roundhouse and Museum, and the railway station dominates the centre of town. We haven't been to that roundhouse, Anne. No, but I think we've passed where the station was. Mm -hmm. We just didn't realise that there was something special there, so we need to check it out next time we go to Juni. We do. With hopefully Mr Isaac Butterfield, who might take us out there. Hint, hint. In 1878, the New South Wales government seized 40 acres on the eastern side of the railway and planned an official town. It's 1878. Mm -hmm. And in 1883, a town named Loftus was proclaimed, surveyed and auctioned. But by 1885, the name had been changed to Junie. Which is J-U-N-E-E. So Christopher Crawley or William Christopher Crawley was born in Sydney in 1841 and his parents, William and Ellen Crawley, emigrated to Sydney, Australia from Ireland. So William Crawley married Elizabeth Carr on the 22nd of September 1862 and the couple moved to Juni. But it wasn't until January 1876 that they bought the land under the provisions of the Robertson Act in 1861. I kind of stopped and took a breath there because I'm thinking to myself, how do you tell your newlywed wife that you're going out to the back of beyond (laughs) and that's where you're going to live? Hey, darling. I've, I've got By the a, way. I've got a beautiful patch of land. <laughs> I want to take you out from the city. Well, I think women had a different place in those days. I don't know. You might remember what it was like. Oh. <laughs> I had to get it in oh. there somewhere. <laughs> so William held two parcels of land on a conditional purchase, one of 400 acres and another 120 acres. That's a fairly big area of land out there. I think he actually owned what is now the whole of Junee. Right. That's how big the land was. Wow. So William and Elizabeth Crawley built a primitive slab hut on the land. I love when they say primitive slab hut. You've got no idea. (laughs) (laughs) When you say primitive, it's primitive. He's he's taken his wife out there from the city to the primitive slab hut. (laughs) Oh, no. So they struggled with farming. However, William acquired a licence and built the Railway Hotel in 1877. Now, it's said that William was tipped off that the Great Southern Railway Line would open in 1878. Before the colonial government routed the railway through the village of Juni, the only buildings in the village were Christopher Crawley's or William Crawley's Hotel, the adjoining railway store run by another local fellow named George Dobbins, and a few slab houses and bark huts. But that changed when the railway arrived and Juni began benefiting from the many travellers and the agricultural trade. So William became a very wealthy man and his land holdings increased and he owned almost the entire area of present-day Juni. That's that's huge. Yeah. So William Crawley was held in high regard by all of the community. He donated a parcel of land to the church and helped finance the construction of St Joseph's Church and other important projects. I remember seeing the church as we drove in, mm. it was sort of up on the hill. Yeah, beautiful. This is when William Crawley built Monte Cristo, 
which means Mount of Christ. Ah. Up until now, the Crawleys lived in a small brick cottage, now called the original homestead, which still exists. Oh, yes. Yes. Mm. So built in 1876, the original homestead later became the kitchen and servants' quarters. And didn't we get at our last location a bit of a historical insight to why they called it the servants' quarters? Do you remember that conversation? No. <laughs> it was days ago. Obviously, I can't remember that far back. it had a great impact on you. <laughs> but it was called the servants' quarters because oh, that's right. it was cut into four. Cut into quarters. And each of those quarters had its own doorway. Yes. I remember now. Thank you. Very interesting. I might not have had my hearing aids turned on oh, that day. Right. I'm not sure. <laughs> So when finances improved, uh, a grander brick replacement was constructed, and that is an understatement when Mm -hmm. it comes to saying a grand brick replacement was constructed. I think Mrs Crawley said, you made me live in a bark hut. You're building me a house. That's it. Yeah. The slab hut made way for stables to house Crawley's prized racehorses, which coincided with the construction of the dairy and preceded a wood ballroom which stood directly behind the old homestead and was connected to a carbide gas supply illuminating the main house in 1902. Mm-hmm. So Christopher Crawley died at Monte Cristo on the 14th of December 1910 at the age of 69 from heart failure, secondary to blood poisoning caused by a carbuncle on his neck becoming infected from rubbing up against a starched collar. Because there's no way they would actually take off those collars to allow themselves to heal. There's no way. They just, it, having to be dressed correctly and have the right appearance at all times was far more important. Mm. And I, actually, I remember some other locations we've been to where people have died from some sort of boil or something that's become infected and mm. it's from those starch collars. I can't remember where it was, but I do remember it's happened before. Yeah. Now, a little note on Elizabeth Crawley because she's quite a character when it comes to this whole story of Monte Cristo. I think she takes on a much bigger aura of existence at the homestead at the moment. So Elizabeth Crawley was born Elizabeth Carr on the 10th of July, 1842 in Kelso, New South Wales. A short time after Elizabeth met Christopher, Crawley, they were married on the 22nd of September, 1862 at Tamut, 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 New South Wales, one of those, T-A-M-U-T. I'm sure there is someone out there who lives close by. It's in a typo. Was it meant to be Tumut? No, it says Tamut. Tamut. Anyway. (laughs) I've learned something new. I'll look Mm -hmm. it up while you're talking. I'm going to look it up. So Christopher and Elizabeth Crawley were very religious and devout Roman Catholics and they donated land to the church and helped finance the construction of St. Joseph's Church itself. Elizabeth Crawley usually wore a black lace dress and a stand-up beaded collar and a lace cap. Elizabeth named Monte Cristo and staff would later tell stories of the harsh mistreatment they received at her hands. Monte Cristo was known to be the social centre of the area. 
the Crawleys held balls at the homestead. The local landowners from the area played tennis on the grounds and the first golf course for Junie and the surrounding area was also at Monte Cristo. The Crawleys had seven children, four girls and three boys that survived. And 10-month-old daughter Ethel was killed when a nanny carrying her dropped her down the stairs. William Christopher Crawley died at Monte Cristo on the 14th of December 1910. And as we've said before, he was 69 years old. And the cause of death was marked as poisoning of the blood. Now, it's said Elizabeth Crawley only left her house twice in the 23 years after her husband died. She turned an upstairs storage room into a chapel where she read the Bible for hours at a time. Elizabeth Crawley died at Monte Cristo on the 12th of August 1933. She reached the age of 92. Oh, that's an incredible age. And the cause of death was a heart failure and ruptured appendix. Oh, wow. Now, coming up to closer to where we are now, on the 3rd of June 1963, Reg Ryan bought Monte Cristo and... By that stage, the homestead had been vandalised and in an awful state because the house had been vacant since 1943. So 20 years of that house standing vacant on the hill and it was literally a shell. That's what they moved into. Wow. The Ryans restored Monte Cristo to its former glory after a history of issues with remaining members of the Crawley family. And I remember Reg telling me all of those stories because the first time I went there, it was while Reg was still alive. Yes, me too. Yeah, what a storyteller, huh? Oh, he was amazing. I tell you, Lawrence has got the gift. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he can talk underwater, just, just like Reg. <laughs> so the existence of Monte Cristo Homestead today is a testament to the dedication and industry of the Ryan family. Reg and beautiful Olive Ryan bought the abandoned and vandalised property on the 3rd of June 1963. And I wonder, I just wonder when Olive first saw that house, I think she must have embodied Mrs. Crawley Mrs. in a Crawley slap her. <laughs> and gone, what the F did and the you reason bring why, me out here for? The reason why it had fell into such despair Bear or the state that it was in is because the children were all warring over who was going to yeah. get the inheritance. Yep, yep. So she's walked in to find it like that. Reg always believed he had a connection with the house and its ghostly residence. I think one of the stories was that he used to drive around all the time and drive past the house saying that one day I'm going to own it. He actually owned it twice. He bought it and then he had to literally give it back and then he bought it again a few years later. Oh, okay. Because of family scuffles and legal battles. Ah, within the Crawley family. Yeah, yeah. So wow. actually bought it, and then he had to give it back and then re- repurchase it yeah. at a greater price. Of course. So besides being an antique store, an award-winning tourist attraction, it has always been very much a family home, the heart of the Ryan family, presided over by Reg and Olive. Sadly, sadly, Reg passed 
away in 2014. And now Olive carries the torch of his legacy and Reggie's ashes out the back under one of the trees. Uh-huh. So if you ever go out there, go and say hello to Reg because he is certainly most definitely there. Well, it was his passion. I'm not surprised that he would still be there. Absolutely. I think a lot of the stories and the ghosts are connected to the Crawleys Mm -hmm. and all the things that happened back then, a lot of the things which, you know, if you were in the height of society and the place to be and the place to sort of aspire to be in a small township like Junee, can imagine the shenanigans and the things that went on behind closed doors there. Well, yes, and wasn't there a little bit of doubt as into the bloodline of Mrs Crawley? Mm-hmm. Which in those days was very so not on, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that was that she was part Indigenous. Mm-hmm. And she tried very hard to cover it up. She was shunned by the people in town, according to Lawrence and the stories we've heard. Yeah. So she was quite, how's the best way to say it, a a pale skin Indigenous bloodline. So she wasn't obviously dark skinned, Mm -hmm. which back then, you know, that's they were very racist, incredibly racist. And there's also stories that some of the maids may have been impregnated by Mr. Crawley, mm-hmm. which was a common day thing back then as well. It was uh, I don't think Mrs. Crawley liked it, but, oh, she's just got the shudders. I think we're talking about something we're not meant to talk about. Mrs. Yeah. Crawley has just stepped in and <laughs> said, don't you say- talk about that. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, can we get on to the ghost yeah. stories, please? Okay, sorry, Mrs. Here. Crawley. I'm sorry, Mrs. Crawley. Oh, I've just gone all goosebumpy as well. What the hell? Yeah, she's just stepped in. God, oh, love you, Mrs. Crawley. We're not okay. talking about okay. that anymore. <laughs> well, what's yeah. going to happen to me is I tell the I ghost stories. God, it's all right. You've got it done now. It's over to me. Bless you. Or have you got more to tell here? No, no, no. I'm done. Okay. I'm done. Let's get on with the juicy stuff. Now for the ghost stories. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you'd do if, say, you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run, maybe take a nap, read a book, or just show up for a friend? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're like me, you think, I can get through a lot. And we can. We're a resilient species. However, there are times that we need to reach out that hand and get a little help from somewhere else. That's what I did with BetterHelp. When I reached that limit and I realized things were getting a little bit out of control, instead of taking it out on my family or taking it out on myself, I just decided to reach out and get the help that I deserve. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy, my darklings. Get BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com P60. Do that today. You're going to get 10% off your first month. That's better. 
help, H-E-L-P dot com slash P60. It's time to take control of your life. Dave's here rooting you on. And if I can do this, you can do this. Let's do this together. Betterhelp.com slash P60. There's a link for it on today's program guide. Let's get on with the ghost stories. So it's said that 11 people have reportedly died on the property. Now, the first one we're going to go to is the story of the stable boy. So this is out in the stables, which are at the back of the property. Reg used to collect carriages, and there are some amazing carriages that he has restored Mm -hmm. out there. Some of them have now been sold, but he really had a passion and had no actual trade in that, but taught himself. So there was the story of the stable boy who apparently, he was only a young fella. Was he about somewhere aged between 9 and 12, I think? And his job was to help out, obviously, in the stables, mucking stools, polishing tack and all that sort of stuff. And one day he just wasn't well. And he said to his boss, because he slept out in the stable, he said, I can't get up today, sir. And the boss had gone, well, bad luck. You've got to get up. You've got work to do. You've got to earn your keep here. Apparently the boss went back a couple of times saying, come on, get out of bed. And the little boy kept going, I can't, I'm just too sick. So the boss set fire to his mattress to force him to get out of bed. Wow. So, of course, the the poor fellow dragged himself out of bed, but he'd already sustained severe burns to his body by the Mm. time he got himself out. And he didn't die straight away. He died a week or so afterwards from complications and infections from the burns. Mm. So it is said that his spirit still haunts there. There is also the story of the pregnant maid who, in inverted commas, threw herself from the balcony. Mm -hmm. And when you go to Monte Cristo, if you look at the steps, there is these beautiful broad red steps. But at one spot in there... It has been bleached white Mm -hmm. where they poured bleach on it to try and get the blood stains out. Now, Lawrence talks about, oh, we might get in trouble here if Mrs. Crawley is hanging around. (laughs) Jane, I can feel it coming to slap me across the head in a minute. Well, we're going to report what Lawrence says, Mrs. Crawley. So this is not us. We're just reporting what Lawrence says. So go and annoy him. It's thought the maid, well, the maid was pregnant and they thought she was taking her own life because it was an illegitimate child. And you can all guess who we think the father was, but mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that out loud because we don't want to get an angry spirit in the room here with us. But if you have a look at where she landed, this maid, it doesn't make sense for somebody who has leapt to their death. Mm-hmm. It looks like more like somebody who has hung on for grim death Mm-hmm. And then fallen. Yeah. So it's thought that somebody pushed her. So no wonder she's still hanging around there. Mm. Yes. There's also the very interesting story of a boy called Harold Steele. That is such a sad story. Mm-hmm. So for a while they had a caretaker looking after the property and she lived out the back in a little brick house and she had a son who had intellectual difficulties do you remember the story of how he got that it was a freak accident or something wasn't it he wasn't always like that no now that you've you've said that i remember that, lawrence yeah. telling us a story yeah. but we'll have to try and find out what that is oh here we are 
do have the notes after all. Excellent. <laughs> he developed a mental illness after a carriage accident in June, and as a result, he had uncontrollable aggressive behaviour and was chained to the back of the cottage for more than 30 years. Now, this little brick cottage has a hole which has been worn over time mm. where the chain was attached. I still have a chain there to to demonstrate. And apparently he used to love the sounds of animals, so he would communicate through the sounds of animals. Mm -hmm. And people can still hear his chains rattling to this day and farmyard sounds or what sounds like dogs howling. This is Harold. Mm. Now, remember that the biggest tragedy, if that is not a tragedy enough, that... They really lived a very lonely life out at Monte Cristo for many years because this is well and truly after William had passed over. Mm. And apparently his mother passed away. Yeah, giving birth. And Harold was left alone in that cottage. But for- I thought they had somebody who was like became his mother and his caretaker. Well, this, this, whoever was left with him died. Right. And because they were alone up there, no one realised that she had died and that Harold was left on oh, his own. Oh, that's right. Yes, the caretaker lady. That, yes. Yeah, and they eventually came, I think as they were hearing noises or things, they yeah. eventually came and found Harold wrapped around his mother who had been dead for many, many days. Wow. And they took him away to an insane asylum. Yes. I wonder what insane asylum they took him to. Mm, be interesting. But apparently his hair was all dreadlocked and he'd howl at the night and the locals in Junee thought it was a monster chained up in the house and kids would go and search for it and Harold would growl and hiss at them like an animal. Oh, dear. Poor fella. What an awful, awful life. That would certainly leave an impression. So one of the things that you can do is you can actually stay at Monte Cristo and we have slept there many times and, as they say, their bathrooms are the most photographed bathrooms in Australia because they have the most amazing floral designs on the pooper <laughs> and wow. it's almost like a sin to sit on them and the beautiful basins and things like that. So you can stay there. You can't access the house during the night, but there is a hallway that links up to the house and we have certainly sat there on many occasions with the spirit boxes and things going, asking the Crawleys to come through and visit us from the other side. Now, we had a very interesting experience ourselves the second last time we were there where we are doing a spirit box session, remember? Oh, yes. And all this information was coming through with regard to an ambulance? Yes. They'd, the week before they'd had people come to stay and it seemed that one of the ladies there had had a turn or something but they were saying that she was speaking in a voice that was not her own and they thought it was more of a possession. Mm-hmm. So they were trying to deal with her as best they could. It was after the tour, during dessert, apple pie. And <laughs> no one leaves during <laughs> apple pie. We all wait for the apple pie. And, yeah, they weren't sure whether they should call the ambulance or or what they should do. But she came to and she said, no, 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 I don't need an ambulance. I'm, I'm fine. But the spirit box was going on and on. A week later about ambulance, get the ambulance. Sylvia, mm. get the ambulance. Yeah. And it mentioned Sylvia's name. Now, we didn't know that story until Veronica told us later on. I think so. Yeah. 
Mm. So that's very interesting. Oh, there was also a caretaker that was shot dead on the property. Did I, I forgot to tell you about that's that. That's right at the end. Yeah. yeah. 1961, a caretaker was shot dead on the property by a boy from town who was inspired by the film Psycho. And he even wrote something on the door, which was, die, Jack, ha, ha, on the door of the cottage. And you can still see it there to this day. Yeah. That's crazy. Yep. So that he was inspired by the film to go and murder someone on a, because the property sits up sort of over the top of the town, a bit like the psycho house. So yeah. he must have felt that that was going to be a great story. Oh, my God. So I say, I always fear the, the living more than I do the dead. Mm. Now, we know the, the story of the maid that dropped the baby down the stairs. That takes me to my own experience so many years ago when I went. So a very, very quiet little paranormal investigator at that stage and I went with a couple of friends who, of course, wanted to go to Juni. Reg was still alive and so we had the obligatory talk, the two-hour talk when we all arrived where Reg sat down and regaled the stories of Monte Cristo before he took us on a tour, which was just amazing. Of course, you get taken through the front of the house first downstairs and then you get to go upstairs. Mm -hmm. Now, just before we go upstairs, I hadn't heard any of these stories at that stage. I just went to Monte Cristo because all my friends wanted to go and I shrugged my shoulders and went, oh, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll go. And so I've we've landed there and everything and um, we're just about to go up the stairs and I just stop bolt dead at the base of the stairs and all of a sudden I get this sense that there is a child next to me and the child is saying, can you take me up the stairs, please? Can I hold your hand and can you take me up the stairs? And I could feel my heart racing at this point in time. I'm completely not imagining this. This is absolutely 100% true life, what is going on for me. True haunting? And the uh, my friend who was with me at the time looks at me and goes, are you okay? And I'm going, no. <laughs> There's a little girl that is asking me to go up the stairs with her. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the other ladies that was there was saying, this has happened before. This isn't the only case that this has happened. At this point in time, I didn't know about the child dying. Yeah. She only died as a a child in arms. So whether this was this child coming through at an older stage or whether it was another child that had been part of the family, I'm not sure. Anyway, long story short, I take this spirit child by hand and I take her up the stairs. When we reach the top of the stairs, she literally lets go and disappears, at which point I have to sit down and I could not move for about 15 minutes. I think they brought me a glass of water. I was completely shaking, completely shaking. Wow. I was taken away from the rest of the group in case I scared them. (laughs) Well, apparently this is Magdalena, which is the Crawley's youngest daughter, and, and they think that she may have been deliberately dropped down the stairs by the maid. Wow. Because there was also the Crawley children, once again, this this daughter came into the scene quite late after the others and they knew that it was one more person to split the inheritance with. So whether it was the maid that did it or one of the children that had done it, I don't know, but they, they seriously think it was done on purpose. Mm. But you at the bottom of the stairs last time we were there in December also had... An experience, which leads me into 
another part of the hauntings of Monte Cristo, and that is the animals. Now, do you remember we were in the room to the left, and it was the Elvis Presley room, it used to be the kitchen, and they were telling us about all the animals who unexpectedly die uh-huh. at Monte Cristo. Mm-hmm. And it started off with Blackie the cat, which when they moved to Monte, they, they took the cat with them. They went and released the cat into the house. Apparently the cats first stood up on end, went berserk, did what I like to call parkour kitty, which they bounce <laughs> off the walls and the furniture and go berserk and jumped from the second floor balcony and vaulted, never to be seen again. Wow. Then a week later, Reg and Olive bring up Scotty the dog. Mm-hmm. Now that was a little smallish sort of dog. And once again, they let it off the lead once they got to the, the property it too went crazy, ran out the door just like the cat, and was never seen again. I'd be devastated by this stage. I'd be <laughs> saying, You can stick your house up your rear end. I'm going to take my animals and go. Mm. Never mind the kids, kids and stay. So they didn't want to have animals because, you know, things seemed mm. to keep happening. Mm. Anyway, they ended up with some stray cats mm-hmm. and they heard a, a cat meowing out in the fields and they realised it had its legs stuck in a rabbit trap. So the kids sort of healed at the Crawley children and took it inside and it got better and then they let it go. But then the cats tended to hang around the property and out in the stables and this particular cat went and had a litter of kittens out in the stables. So the, the kids used to go out and they'd play with the cats and they'd think it was beautiful. But each kitten, after it was a couple of weeks, months old, would die one by one, foaming at the mouth. There was one who lasted five months, but Olive found this particular cat in her kitchen inside a locked house, locked from the inside with its eyes gouged out and its belly split and its innards spilled everywhere. that's awful. And poor Olive trying to deal with that. And it was at that stage that we were telling that part of the story. Oh, yeah. Where you became very ill and sat on the stairs and... I've been done. That was it for me. She loves her animals. So I, being the valiant friend that I am, (laughs) offered to escort her outside for some fresh air and just to ground herself a little bit, have a little lie down and a bit of water. And then we rejoined the tour a bit later because we had done the tour several times. So it was new for a lot of our friends that were there with us. So we, we let them go for it and we just took a bit of time out. Yeah, that's true. I could not. I couldn't have apple pie. Oh, no. I was just, my stomach had I think turned somebody ate it for you. <laughs> so badly at that stage that I just couldn't. I couldn't. And a shout out to all our beautiful, frightfully good crew, our frightfully good army who come and support us on all our tours and help us out in everything we do. We love you guys. Anyway, let's get back to some more animal stories. Mm-hmm. Yes. Punish <laughs> me more. <laughs> now we're going to talk about chooks. Oh, so the chooks. They made a small hen house. This is now we're up to the Lawrence's family and, and brothers and sisters. Yes. So they made a small hen house at the back, and it wasn't long until the chooks started to die one by one. Mm-hmm. They assumed it was foxes. So they bought more chooks, added some extra security, like extra high fences and locks on the gates and and wire netting over the top and a roof. And these ones only lasted two to three days. 
and they came in to find the pen was still locked with a padlock and all the chickens inside had had their necks wrung. Mm. That's just... Bizarre. I don't like those sorts of ghosts. No, I don't either. So now we're talking about Lawrence's dog bandit. Oh, no. Must we? But it's okay. He's still alive, I think. Well, I don't know. The story is about him. He didn't die in this story. Lawrence never took him into the house. But one day, because you know how they've got those external stairs near the what Mrs. Crawler used to use as the chapel? Yes. He somehow or other got himself up onto the top floor and went crazy and they had to get hold of the dog and get him out of there before he did damage to mm-hmm. to all the furniture and the antiques that are filled up in this house. So animals seem to have a bad reaction. There was also the eldest daughter or sibling to Lawrence. She was gifted two finches. She kept them in a little cage in her room and she loved them. She was on the second floor. She used to feed them and water them and she came home at lunch one day just to check on them and, and she went downstairs to get them some fresh water and when she came back they were both dead on the floor of the cage with no explanation so yeah what evil lurks yeah apparently Olive doesn't believe so much in a lot of the ghosts but she has felt a hand on her shoulder and she's had her name called out when she's been there by herself and quite often hears footsteps on the balcony and there's Hmm. no one there wonder whether Reg comes to visit now yeah I'm, I'm sure he'd be looking over. But there's a great story about Reg hanging a picture. He had this picture that he hung on the, the wall and it's a big, heavy picture and a glass over the top of it. And he came in the next day and found it on the floor. Nothing had broken. The wires hadn't broken or anything like that. And the glass hadn't broken. So he thought, oh, that's weird. All right, I'll just pop it back up. So he gets it back up there. Same thing happened the next night. Mm-hmm. And so with that, he moved it to a different place, I think, and it hasn't moved since, so mm-hmm. it's all good. Maybe uh, Mrs Crawley didn't like it where he was putting it and so she would take it down until he yeah. realised yeah. that it wasn't because she had a special room up the top there yes. that she would sit in, mm. um, that um, parlour room that uh, Lawrence talks about, which was her favourite room. She could look out the window towards the township and it was her, certainly her favourite spot after her husband had passed over. So much of these stories have come from the books, a bit of research on the, the internet as well. But I wanted to read you a couple of stories from the Monte Cristo book because they're, they're, there's so many. There's just, they go on and on. So, yeah, it seems that every time someone goes to visit, they have a story to tell. Yeah, and I have to, I have to say I'm impressed with the way Lawrence presented the tour. He obviously has researched how to be a a paranormal investigator and wants to debunk things and to point out the obvious to people. So he's not trying to sensationalise the ghost stories. He's using a lot of common sense and science in there as well. Mm. So let me tell you about Father Mac, the Catholic priest who had conducted the marriage ceremony. This is uh, Reg talking here, and he was looking through the house one day. Upon entering the drawing room, he hurriedly blessed himself and backed out. This incident has stayed vivid in my mind for some time. I guess because the furniture is all black wood and father was dressed in clerical black, I didn't ask, of course, but often wonder what caused his premature departure. Mm. 
An elderly English lady entered the same room and started to cry uncontrollably. We took her out of the house and over the entrance building. We gave her a strong cup of tea to comfort her, extremely embarrassed and at loss trying to explain her apparent grief. Then there was Ian, who was a boarder and a railway employee. He had horses and would train them when he's not on duty. At one stage, Ian had arranged a mate to feed his horses while he went away on holidays. On one occasion, his friend said he had just entered one of the horse stalls when he noticed the door starting to swing shut. Naturally, he tried to prevent it closing on him and later swore it was like someone on the outside was trying to force the door shut. He could see out and there was nobody there. He refused to help again. That sounds very similar to the story that you talked about with Veronica, how someone had come to the door and was rattling the door, and when they went to have a look, there was no one there. I wonder, could it have been the same spirit? Yes, I think it could be the stable boy. Mm. Now, let me tell you about my story on Monte Cristo. Yes. So many years ago, when I first started paranormal investigating, I went with a group of friends to Monte Cristo and we had booked to stay the night. And I had mentioned to Reg that I played piano. And he said, well, one of the Crawley daughters used to play piano, accomplished musician, and had composed a piece of music. He said, actually, I think I've got it here somewhere. So sure enough, he went back up to the house. And at that stage, they had what was basically an antique shop out in the ballroom. I remember. And there was an old piano there. It was dreadfully out of tune, but it still worked. There was a couple of notes missing here and there. So it had a bit of honky-tonk sound. So I said, well, you know, if we find this music, I'll give it a crack. I'll do what's called sight reading, where they put music in front of you you've never seen before, and you have a go at playing it. Mm -hmm. So the said music was produced, and it was very frail. I was quite scared to turn pages because it was so precious and the Crawley daughter's name was across the front and I thought to myself as I started to look at the music this music has not been played in over a hundred years in this homestead and I sent out a little thought to the universe to the Crawleys said I'm going to do my best to play your daughter's music Mrs Crawley if you would like to gift me a photo of an apparition or something I would be incredibly grateful. And I left it at that. So I sat to and started playing this music, and it was hard. Now, there is a recording on YouTube, and I'm sure our beautiful sound people will find some of that and pop it in here. And I played through, and it was, it was a great piece of music, a lot of fun. You could just imagine people sitting back and laughing and enjoying the, the, the music. Little did I know that earlier that evening I'd set up a tripod in the main dining room and I was just taking photos with a new camera. I wasn't using a flash and a little longer exposure than usual, taking multiple photos. When I got home, I discovered I had a very unusual photo in there. It only appears in one shot and it seems to be from the neck down of a gentleman standing. And I've mm -hmm. actually seen a photo of Mr. Crawley with this exact vest on, and it looks like you can see the indentations where the buttons were. Mm -hmm. Next to where his elbow would be, it looks like the side profile of a lady who is seated next to him. And it looks 
very much like Mrs. Crawley. Wow. But what got me the most was the fingers in the gloves. You can see a hand with what looks like fingers within gloves. Wow. And we'll pop that photo up Mm. onto our page for people to have a look at. If you can give us a logical explanation, I would really love it. You will see some wiggles in some of the, because they've got crystals everywhere in candlelight. And that's because it was on a longer exposure and it's the crystals creating that artifact. Mm -hmm. So we know that's not paranormal. But yeah, it it sort of opened up the whole thing of is time even linear? Mm. Like I'd asked for that photo after I'd taken the photo. And I I got exactly what I had asked for. Mm -hmm. So that was my experience at Monte Cristo. I didn't have much else happen. I love it. I think it's amazing. There's so many antiques and stuff that are in there. They must all hold a bit of energy. And really, it's not an expensive place to go visit. One of the places I looked at, I think it was $12 to go in just to have a look around during the day. And you can do the dinner tours, which you get a lovely home-cooked sort of hearty home-style meal. Yes, yes. The ladies do a fantastic job yeah, of the meal. Yeah, three courses. Yeah. And then you get to go and stay the night in the haunted rooms. And it's a fantastic experience and it was really reasonably priced. I don't know how they're sort of keeping the maintenance up to that house because there would be a fair bit that goes into maintaining a a Mm. large property like that. So good on you guys. Mm. So go out there, support them. Still trying to keep the the homestead open for all of us to go and visit. We've run out of time. No, I I think they should go, people should go and experience it for themselves. Uh, it is known as Australia's most haunted homestead. And they've, they've chosen the words carefully, yeah. homestead. Yeah. So it's a particular type of building on a property. They're not saying it's the most haunted place in the whole of Australia, although it's right up there. Mm. Now, would you call this a true haunting? I would think that, well, even the experience we've had here right now. Yes, I know. <laughs> and she's still here because I've still got the hackles yeah, going up. There is something happening. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of True Hauntings. I hope you have enjoyed it. If you could hit subscribe, like, all those things to help us to continue to bring you great content and help us get out and explore more haunted locations for you guys. You can find us on Anne and Renata, Frightfully Good on Facebook. Also Anne and Renata on Instagram. Instagram. And YouTube. YouTube, definitely the YouTube where you can watch some of the vlogs to the places that we have visited. So thank you for joining us and stay tuned for the next episode of True True Hauntings. See you on the dark side. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube.